Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Mm. <laughs> I think I'm just going to rev it in the middle at the end. Okay, so what I want you to you first and say, uh, you're listening to the modern women. You're listening to the modern women. <laughs> oh, sorry, you're listening to the modern women. I'm your host, Natalie Drenovac, and this is The Modern Women, a show that seeks to share the stories and experiences of women that may be out of our line of sight. Today's episode is bringing back the Anonymous series, which for those who've listened to season one will know that its aim is to give a variety of women their own platform. It often seems like the only people who are ever interviewed or given a platform to express an opinion or point of view are those with some sort of status, whether it be through followers, media presence, or just being a celebrity. It made me wonder that perhaps the common voice we're hearing is getting skewed and whether these are the only voices and opinions that we should be hearing. Do you ever question why we give so much weight and why do we listen so intently to what those with status might have to say about topical issues? When I've personally had a range of powerful and deep conversations with what I'll in inverted commas say are, you know, everyday women, as I'm sure you have too. On top of this, the issues that face women face every woman in a variety of ways. And that's what I want to uncover and explore in this series. As this series evolves, the continuing purpose of the anonymity is to enable open discussions because sometimes opinions don't always need a face. For today's episode, we dive into expectations. You know those things that were placed on you from your earliest memories, reinforced by friends, family, society, and most of all, yourself? We've all had them, we've all failed to meet them, we've all reinvented them for ourselves, but have we ever wondered, why is it that we let them govern our lives? Ladies, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's very exciting to do another anonymous podcast episode. And considering you both have listened to the previous one, I'm sure this will get rather entertaining. So you both know the rules. We start with rapid fire. What's your standard drink order? Negroni. Can depend on my mood, but at the moment it's an Aperol spritz. Best pickup line ever thrown your way? Look, it's... Probably been a really long time since I've heard or had to use a pickup line. So that would probably be the pickup line I'd use should I have to go back into that scenario once again. I feel like I should have a heap given the amount of time I spent online dating. But I suppose the one that sticks in my mind because it actually worked really well was met my ex-husband on Christmas Eve and he just walked up to me and said, Merry Christmas. That's cute. Isn't it cute? 
What's the one book that's had the greatest impact on you? Every time I hear this on the podcast, it really, it shakes me because it changes probably week to week. And I don't think there is one book that I could pinpoint. It really depends on where I am in my life, in my hour, in my day when I'm listening. So at the moment, I've just started reading a book called Raw, which I'm loving, all about women, physiology and food and diet and kind of, I guess, that we shouldn't be treated or or more so that not all women should think that they should be the same and that, you know, menstruation and our physical body is really like so different even to other women and to men? Um, I have two and they're very different. First one I would say is Open by Andre Agassi, partly because I find it amazing that someone could be so successful and achieve so much doing something that he hated with the – he hated it with the passion that most people – you know, hated it with the same kind of passion that most people would, um, you know, follow a creative endeavor or something they loved, the same level of passion, but it was a negative passion. Um, and also the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck, which I can't remember mm. the name of the author, but... Mark when, Manson. No, yeah. no, that's the subtle art of not giving a fuck. There's Sarah Knight. Sarah Knight, yeah. It's like the whole um, idea of a fuck budget and you only dole your fucks out to people, you know, and things that you really care about because I used to have a habit of giving way too many fucks away to way too many things and didn't give leave much left for myself so and lastly who is a female role model for you and why has to be my mother she's probably the strongest most incredible woman in my life and also the one that pushes my buttons the most I'd probably also say my mum she she's been through so much and yet And I don't think she sees herself as resilient, but I feel like I'm an incredibly resilient being and I feel like I probably get that from her even though she wouldn't acknowledge that it comes from her, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. It's actually a great way to start this chat. So before we begin, a bit of a touch of listener feedback from last episode. They want a bit of the 411 on who I interview on Anonymous. So just your age and what you do, not where you work, just what it is you do and your age. Okay, um, so I'm 31 and I'm a managing editor and I'm a writer. Great. I am 37 and I work in communications. Love it. So today's theme, expectations. So much to say within all this, but let's start with the personal aspect. And I think this really often starts from when we're little. You were immediately asked, what do you want to be when we grow up? And therein begins our immediate placing of personal expectations and what we hope our lives look like. To want is to expect. So you're both very accomplished within your own rights in your careers. Does where you are now align with where you expected to be at earlier stages in your life? I wouldn't necessarily assume or say that I'm accomplished. Like I wouldn't refer to myself as that. But when I actually sit back and hearing you say it back to me, I was like, well, actually, I've done so much and I feel really empowered and I feel like I'm in a position where I can empower. And so for me, that's feeling accomplished. So, yeah, to some degree, yes, because I think I've always been really hardworking. Um, is it exactly where I thought I would be in my life? Hell no. Hell no. Like I said, I was a different person growing up, far more anxious Yeah, definitely nowhere near as resilient as I am now, but doesn't mean that I still didn't have dreams once, didn't want to be the best version of myself. 
It's a really interesting question. Um, I was sort of, I probably grew up in a, in a house that was similar to yours, but different in the sense that I was, I spent all of my younger years focusing on being a dancer and there is nothing that teaches you to compare yourself more to other people around you than putting a bunch of girls in pale pink tights and leotards and sticking them in front of a mirror with nothing else on trying to, you know, make your body do things that it's not generally designed to do. Um, so I suppose I grew up comparing myself to people from an appearance point of view and also a talent point of view. Um, you know, and as a kid, you sort of need to understand why can they do that and why can't I do that and all of that sort of stuff. But I suppose I learned very early on if I was really determined to do something that I could do it. And my mum always brought me up to, she always just said, whatever you put your mind to, you can do. And she never wavered from that. So I never, I've never gone and attempted something without thinking, oh, I can actually do that, which is brilliant and has served me really well. Um, as for where I am now in my life, I'm not there yet is how I look at that um, or I bloody well hope I'm not there yet. Um, I'm a really ambitious and driven person and um, I think on a personal level is where I probably – I'm quite hard on myself and I thought I thought by the age of 37 I'd be married, kids, house, the whole bit. Um, I didn't expect to be, you know, 27 and divorced and – you know, like I thought I was going to go down the merry lane that, you know, a lot of people I went to high school went down and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but I suppose I'm quite happy with sort of where I've gotten to probably over the last 12 to 18 months on a professional level and a personal level. But I thought I would have gotten there probably, you know, about eight years ago. So so when it comes to your careers, um, before we touch on the more personal aspects, do you feel like you have a lot of expectation placed upon you by others or yourselves with where you're at now? Like, do you continue to feel that? Yeah, I think in my current job situation, absolutely. Like I, you know, and, and there is that element of wanting to be really strong and almost you know, like you earn a you earn a position and you really drive that position and there's a reason you're in that position. And I think sometimes what you don't sort of get told is to say no or to you can waver even if you're in a position of power, even though if you have your own team that are looking to you know, that are looking to you for guidance that you're mentoring, you know, you still need mentors, you still need people, you still have your moments where you come in and you feel anxious and uncertain and you are making all the decisions you know for x amount of months about x amount of jobs and what you're going to be writing about and how you're approaching like writers there's so much expectation placed upon you that sometimes you don't you know you don't want to waver there's like this element and I've always said to other people if someone said to me hey what would be a big piece of advice I'd be like never waver you know stay strong stay who you are be true don't ever and then sometimes I find myself in these situations where I go, am I being true? Am I being the advice that I would give somebody else in my, in my job? What makes you waver? Because I don't feel experienced sometimes. I don't feel... Is that imposter syndrome? Yeah, maybe. I sometimes feel like it's not necessarily... And look, if you ask anyone that actually knows me in my life, they, they know how hard I am on myself. And so sometimes I think I just need to give myself a break. But in saying that, you know, just because you're not necessarily good at something that you thought you would be doesn't mean that that's the end of who you are or 
you know, I think wavering is just showing that you're human, you know, even the probably the, you know, the, the biggest CEOs, the biggest editors, the biggest journalists can, can have their moments. And it's, I think it's how you deal with that moment after you're in it. That is what shows whether you're in the right sort of profession or you're in the right headspace. And while I waver, I definitely can bounce back and, and I'm willing to change, you know, I'm willing to learn. I'm like, if there's one thing that I want to keep doing, sure, there's expectation and, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, like you were saying, yeah, you know what, maybe I thought I would be here. I just want to continue to, to learn and mm. to grow. doesn't matter if it's now or if it's another 30 years. I just want to keep learning. I, like, I think I've just stopped setting goals or age targets anymore because I'm just over the bullshit that that comes with it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's funny what you were saying about wavering. I was I actually what popped up in my mind is either like the president of the United States or the prime minister. They don't. They're not just because they're at the top. They're not the ones making. They've got a whole bunch of people that are advising them all the mm. time, and you know they don't know everything about everything. They just but we also to- don't know them. Like we know what we read and we see on their socials and we see in the paper or online. Like, mm. do we really know them? Probably not. No. You know, we know what we get told. Yeah. Which is also inherently another issue. But isn't that the whole problem, though, with everyone talking about social media and your highlight reel? And, like, this is all going on in your head. Mm. Whereas from the outlook, someone wouldn't notice that. Whereas really it's just your own um, methodical ways in which you're analysing your life and situations. I just think it's going on in everyone's head. It's just all at a different speed or at a different point in that process. Just because you're thinking 45 steps ahead doesn't mean someone else isn't already on that train of thought Mm. at a different point. So do you have any other personal expectations outside of career that over your life you've placed upon yourself? Before we get to relationships, so mm. um, I know in my collating of feedback, one of you had per- previously mentioned that you had a lot of expectations placed upon you with body image. And so I'm curious to know what your expectations that you had on yourself when, uh, you know, when you mentioned that. Um, I think... It's inherent as a teenage girl to look at your body and not understand what the heck's going on. Um, I think also because I never really thought about my body image until I had actually started to lose weight. You know, and usually it was usually it's a little bit backwards for people. They look at other people and they think, I want to look like that. And then they start to look like that. And then they then there's like this spiral that sort of can happen. And for me, it was the opposite. I just started playing more sport. Wasn't very active when I was very young, but started playing more sport. Lost a lot of weight. Started to get more attention from people that I wasn't used to getting attention from, from boys, um, from my friends, um, from my family friends. Um, And the comments were always really positive. Mm -hmm. And then when you start getting those positive comments, you think, oh, all of a sudden I'm this like great person that everyone wants to hang out with. I should just keep dropping the weight. I should start to look really good all the time. And then you start losing a bit of weight and then it quickly goes from like a healthy sort of space into a not so healthy space. And my expectation, I guess, when I was younger wasn't really about body image. Yeah, sure, my friends were all thinking about all the diets and stuff that, you know, maybe more so later on in high school and what we looked like and who had bigger boobs and who had their periods first. And it was all just, 
you know, you just felt normal if you could connect with somebody who had the same thing as you. So you instantly had that, that Velcro effect that, you know. But for me, my expectation, yeah, there were so many health implications that happened as a result of the dropping of the weight. And my mental state was so hindered that I didn't even realise in what sort of spiral I was in for so long that it's something that constantly plays in the back of my head now when I know if I'm feeling down or I'm feeling uncertain about something, that is the first thing that I will literally lean towards. Well, it's your control. It's my control. It's, and it's the one thing that is mine. Mm. Like it, it's my issue. It's, it's my body, you know. Do you think, though, inherently women have just fiercer expectations on their body than men do? Of course. Well, because I know that like there's a rise in men and uh, men's body dysmorphia and all the rest of it. But why do you think it is? Like, is it men giving us these pressures and expectations or is it other women? I think, um, and having been on the receiving end of being a bigger girl and then dropping that weight. And you know what? I had friends who are far smaller who would say to me, oh, you look really great. You look really great. And you don't. Like, you don't. Like, you're inherently unhealthy when you look back on it. You know, and it is, and I, and you know what, and you know, you shouldn't have to get angry at somebody else's opinion, but when you are trying to look like something or be something, and that person is looking back at you and saying, "Oh, you know, um, you look really good," or you know, or if, if that person is looking back at you saying, "You know, you look really good," or um, "I've worked really hard to be where I am." Still, it still hurts. Like it, you don't want to hate the person that's telling you this compliment, even if they're your friend or other women or men, you know, or the media. But it's this moment of like you don't know this skin that I'm currently in. Like you don't know where I am in this space. Everyone's different, but there's this moment where you just go, you don't know how much angst, you know, every meal, every item of clothing, every time I walk past somebody on the street, I literally will look at them and I will size them up and I can pinpoint exactly what size they are if it like – it is, it's consuming, like, you know, so it's not about being angry, but you definitely, it's hard to hear positive reinforcement from someone who's already there or in your mind, already there, Mm. already successful in your mind when it comes to body image, you know, Mm. you try really hard not to get angry, but I actually have a lot of male friends who are extremely self-conscious, probably more so than a lot of my female friends. You know, and I find that surprising. I think it's probably, you know, who you surround yourself with, obviously, Mm. Um, whether it's men versus women versus media versus society, inverted commas, like, what does that mean? Everything that happens in society, you know? So, yeah, I guess there's, you know, to say one's more than the other, I think women on women happens far more than maybe we'd like to admit. Yeah, totally. I think it can be actually the most horrible thing. And it's women. My favorite um, example is always when you have that woman who puts up the meme, which is like women supporting each other. Don't, you know, throw off her crown without, you know, you can, uh, you can fix your own crown without knocking off hers. But, you know, they're the ones who are like punching you in the corner. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Oh, I love social media for that. (laughs) Okay. So when we want to change who we are and what we're doing, which results in an inherent misalignment, there's a certain judgment that gets bundled, bundled into that as a classification of failure. So the idea that as we get older or as you want to change your values, certain people have placed an expectation because they've come to understand you in a certain way. And you're like, now I'm different. And I find inherently there can be a lot of judgment laced upon that. Do you ever feel that way? 
Do you mean professionally or personally? Just personally, like mm. the simple idea around as you get older, you want to change. Mm. Like I think we we start to learn of our values, our morals. We just have a bit better a guiding compass. But people have learnt an expectation of who you are. And so then do you find that that judgment comes with that or have you ever, have you just never experienced that? Because I guess the overall question I'm looking to answer is why also when our expectations aren't met, do we not freely speak about it in the same way versus perhaps sometimes hiding it, covering it and pretending like it never happened or you never hoped for a, a bigger, brighter future? Hmm. I had an interesting conversation with my partner actually not so long ago um, because he was with his ex-partner and the reason they, you know, eventually their relationship imploded um, as I've heard from his side, obviously not hearing from her side, was that she changed quite considerably to the point where he said, it, no, it was like she had a lobotomy and became a completely different person. Um, so I, that's when I wanted to have the discussion about, well, I don't want to be the same person 10 years from now than I am today because I want to grow as a human being. So if there's one thing I can guarantee you, it is that I am going to change and you need to be okay with that. And I think he understood that in the sense, but I, the fear that came up in me is just like, well, if I learn new things and do change effectively, is that going to be a problem for him? Um, and I think we worked out that it's, it's, it's not um, – because the kind of change, I mean, and I haven't met her, so I can't really say, and I wouldn't have known her before anyway, so I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. But it's not just from him. I heard that she changed from quite a few people who did know her. So, um, but yeah, I just said, look, there's, it's in a relationship, you, you want to grow not only as a human being in yourself, but, you know, you grow in your relationship and sometimes people grow apart. And yeah. that's, I said, but my goal would always be to grow together and I think that comes from actually watering like one of my favorite sayings is um the grass is greener where you water it so if you actually spend time on your relationship and you focus on your relationship and you water that relationship then I don't see any reason why two people if they fall in love and they support each other why they can't grow together I always say that to Lisa I say we'll either grow together or we'll grow apart so we at least can have a bit of a common mission yeah Uh, but has have you have any experience with that yeah so I think for me when I think about personal I really think about not my relationships and change you know I really um I think about my upbringing was probably far far stricter and religious um so I come from an um an Islamic background um and so for me and I identify as Muslim and so for me um What's been probably the biggest thing is my identification through religion and then that sort of changing over time and then me almost somehow feeling guilty because I have evolved from what I had always said. So I always believed in no sex before marriage. That was one of my things that I was like, you know what, that's who I am. I decided from a really young age um, I wanted to save myself for marriage. Um, For me, marriage was – that was the final moment – of togetherness that you will ever have with someone and it was with one person. And so for a long time, that's what I thought through my teen years, probably why I was single for a really long time. Um, But I guess for me, when that changed and I ended up in a relationship, to be honest, like with this relationship, it was really difficult because for a long time I was pushing back and fighting off. And there was a part of me that was like, am I saying no to this relationship because I don't want to be tempted and maybe change 
what I've always said that I'm going to be? Or am I saying no because I think the other person doesn't really respect what I think and so I shouldn't enforce it upon them, which is what I sort of said to myself for a long time. And so when I ended up, I guess, getting into a relationship and just inherently changing my connection with my religion changed as well. I decided to have sex before marriage. I decided to pursue um, pursue somebody and it was it was great like I it was I felt bad not so much not so much um, because I had changed my mind. I think if I can't fucking change my own mind then who can? Like, no one else can do that for you, you know? So I should be allowed to change my mind and not feel bad about it, you know? But for a while, I felt kind of like, oh, this is what I've always said I am, and now I'm this, which is the complete opposite, you know? And I think that's just part of inherently changing and growing. And you sort of, you don't want to place, ex, you know, you we always talk about expectations being placed upon us by other people, by society, by our workplace, by our relationships, I just think sometimes our own expectations just completely blow everything else out of the water. And I, I loved that I changed who I was and I'm, you know, still changing and still figuring out who I am and figuring out that changing your mind is actually extremely refreshing. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. Well, I was going to get into sex expectations later, but now that we're there, let's dive in. Boom. <laughs> um, I do want to cir- – can we circle back to it actually because I want to go through relationships and then get to the mm. expectations so we, you know, we kind of slowly coax into it. Bit but of foreplay. Bit of foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, just a yes or no, do we step into relationships with predefined expectations? Yes. Not anymore. Okay. So I wanted to break down relational, relational expectations and obviously starting with our favorite, our favorites being our partners. Um, when it comes to gendered expectations within your relationship, do you feel that there are certain expectations on you because you are the woman in the relationship versus the man? Or is like, do you ever find there are double standards? Or you, you play into a role and you don't even realize you are? I play into a role, but I'm fully aware that I play into that role and there's a part of that role that I quite enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, it's not I – sp- I suppose the, the way to define it is that, yes, I probably – I run the house that we live in in terms of making sure, which is – funnily enough, I was listening to a podcast not very long ago and they talked about emotional labour and that's the things like, you know, you notice when the milk runs out so you go and get it and you notice when you need more, you know, dishwashing liquid so, so you go and buy that and men supposedly – or this woman had this experience where, you know, men just don't notice shit like that. So they just, and the wife always does it or the girlfriend or the partner always does it. The woman always does it. So they don't think about it. So there's a bit of that that goes on in my house. And I tried to explain that to him. It's a long process. I think to try to get a man who, you know, my partner is very Australian and very, um, not set in his, his ways exactly. Like he comes from a family where, his entire, you know, growing up, his dad did all the cooking and the grocery shopping because his mum was the breadwinner. So that role, the traditional role there was reversed. Um, and he does, he spends more time in the kitchen than I do. I do the real pedestrian, like midweek, I'll do the grocery shopping, cook the the, the boring pedestrian 
healthy meals that we need to fuel us. But on the weekend, he's the one that will stand in the kitchen for three, four hours cooking a slow cooked meal while I sit on the other side of the bench and don't lift a finger and drink a glass of wine type thing. So there is those semi sort of gender roles, but I'm quite a nurturer. Like I really love to nurture people and my way of nurturing has, and, and the way I take care of um, people is by, making sure that we have a clean house and making sure that we do have groceries and making sure that, you know, we do have clean clothes. And I've always quite enjoyed that nurturing aspect. And I don't know whether my mum's a very nurturing person and I always watched her do that. And that's how I um, always knew how much mum cared about us, apart from all the cuddles and the kisses and the I love yous and the watching, you know, be dance and all of that stuff. Um, There was, you know, so I think I potentially learned that from her, but also I just really enjoy it. So... Yeah, I think for me, um, it's funny because, you know, growing up, um, my mum is really, we we always joke that my mother plays the role of mum perfectly, like give the woman an Academy Award for mother. She (laughs) is, she's everything that I think of when I think of a mum. She's, you know, and I had absolutely no desire to be the nurturing feeder that she is when I was a teenager. It was almost I had this rebellious kind of um, approach to her in that and I remember her distinctly telling me this when I was a teenager. She said, if you don't uh, learn how to make this dish, then I don't know, I don't know how you're going to cope with married life or (laughs) – and I just remember thinking to myself, there's more out there than just cooking a dish, than cooking and cleaning, surely. Oh, yeah. You know, and inherently or somehow along the way, I, I too identify as quite, I, I am a nurturer and a feeder, but I also, I, I don't look in the fridge to see if something's missing or in the cupboard. I just think of, I just sort of think that two people should be able to be adults in the same living space. I'm, you know, and not all my relationships have been like that where it's so, I think that I just, there are roles that happen inherently mm-hmm. and I hate them. I actually, it's probably the biggest turnoff for me is n- having a role. Like some, some women love that. They love to provide and love to give every ounce to their significant other. Yeah, I don't right? do that. But I'm not, I, but I... I'm I'm all about giving to the relationship and giving mm. to us, but I'm not here to be your mum. No. See, it's so um, interesting and funny because Lisa and I, I suck. Like, I do not cook. She's like, please keep away from the kitchen. Um, she does the washing. Sure, I hang it up, I put it away and all the rest of it. But, like, I often make jokes to her and I just think, if I said that and I was a man... I'd have like six girlfriends being on my case, whereas most of the time our friends just laugh and tell me I'm hopeless. <laughs> but when people generally say the predominant female roles and things, I'm always like, oh, definitely, I suck at that. Yeah, no, not me, not at all. <laughs> well, so. I mean, like I – because I do – like I know I just said I was a nurturer and I, you know, take care of things. There is a line for me though because I work also. I work full-time. The only reason I do the grocery shopping is because I do make it home first because I happen to be – working closer to home than he is so that just makes sense logistically but like a little while ago I just drew a line and I just said you know what I do enough running around during the week because we moved into a house from a small apartment about six months ago and it's got polished floorboards and I can't like I don't know if I would ever have polished floorboards in another house ever again because they get so fucking dust like you clean them and they get so dusty so I just said we're getting a cleaner and you're paying for it because I'm just not getting to the weekend and just spending my weekend cleaning the house because I don't want to. 
and that was fine. So there you go. Draws the line. That's what, what? you've got to do. I think I, I think you got to draw the line early on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So expectations. Um, my favorite topic. Uh, so we were obviously talking earlier about um, no sex before marriage, which. Mm. I've always really admired um, in people who take that route, but I think at the same time, I never grew up in that sense of thinking that was the like holy matrimony and all the rest of it. So I don't think I ever thought I was going to go down that way. But when it comes to um, sex expectations and your current relationships, are there differences in what you want sex to be like when he does it and what he may want it to be like and expect of you? Do you know what I mean in terms of sex expectations within your own individual selves as a relationship? Yeah. Um, in our house, I'm known as a sex pest. Sex pest, all right. Mm. But in a good way, if that makes sense. No, I am. <laughs> um, I think with – and I'm really fortunate in my current relationship in that we're pretty open and we talk a lot about sex, which is super new to me as well because a lot of my previous relationships – Everything sort of gets ignored, then assumptions are made, and then it escalates, and then all of a sudden you didn't know that someone so liked this or didn't like so this. So do you have an example of that when it escalated and you were like, wait a minute, like you did not let me know about any of these expectations? Um, yeah, well, in my previous relationship in particular, um, he, we just had very different work hours and work schedules, and our timings were completely off. You know, you come home late from work, you're not feeling great about yourself and my deep-seated body issues didn't help. I don't want to be I don't want to be naked with the lights on like sorry, that's just who I am. I've decided this for, you know, 19 years. You can't just change that on me. Like that's not how it works. But then you feel like, oh, okay, you've just got to like let go. You've got to move on. You've got to I guess keep pushing on. Because you listen to other people's conversations about sex and they're all talking about how great it is. And Well, so I brought this up in the last Anonymous episode when everyone was talking about, like, I feel like when you're in a grouping of friends and everyone's talking about sex, you're all expected to be having mind-blowing, amazing sex. And Every no, night of the week. No one <laughs> wants to say, well, no, I'm not having enough sex or actually it's not that common. Or You know what I mean? Like I do find there's this expectation within friendship groups that no one's allowed to be like, hey, my sex life sucks. I've been told... Because my, my sexual enjoyment has changed a lot over the last couple of years, um, partly because I was on the pill for 17 years. My mum put me on the pill when I was 16, 17, when I told her I was going to go and have sex, and that's what I think she thought you did. So, But I didn't realise how much that affected my libido. Then went off the pill and had a bit of a hormone thing going on, which was also ruining my libido. So once that got balanced out, um, and I'm in de- you know deeply in love with my current partner who I just think is delicious so like I yeah I'm I have quite an appetite but our our appetites sort of match up but because it's such a new thing for me because I remember you know because I've known you Nat for quite some time and I remember sitting around a table actually at a restaurant with a bunch of people and you were talking about how much you enjoyed talking about sex because how much you loved sex and I remember sitting there thinking I wish I loved sex that much there's something that I'm missing here and that was before I discovered the hormone thing and gone off the pill and the whole bit. So Discovered your libido. Yeah, discovered my libido. And now that I've found it, one of my favourite things to talk about is sex to the point where my part, like I try to talk about it because, you know, I realise I have to pick my audience because I make people uncomfortable if I'm talking about sex Amen. and how much sex we're having because, you know, I'm. I, but it's a genuine thing because I'm excited that we're having 
great sex and we have a lot of great sex and you know he's like um yeah but when you're talking to people who've been you know married for 10 years or 12 years and they're not having a lot of sex you make them uncomfortable and I'm like but 10 years from now like sex is such an important part of our relationship 10 years from now I hope we're having just as much sex as we're having now if that's unrealistic fine but so on that note, is it expected that we stay in the relationship if sex is lacking or can we go elsewhere for that? Considering recent stats show 57% of men and 54% of women have cheated on their partners. What were those stats again? 57% of men and 54% of women. Um, so like I think, like I, I feel like some people listening to this will be like 10 years in, oh darling, it's not going to well, happen. Well, talking to someone who's we're about to hit 10 years in our relationship and I still find my partner extremely Do you still attractive. have as much sex as you did? No. And, but that's not so much because of where we were at. We sort of had a road block in the middle of our relationship and our sex life had to change. You know, my partner got sick and sex was different. Um, it had to be different. Um, I've in our relationship, we've always had unprotected sex because he's unable to conceive naturally. Um, and I didn't really know anything otherwise until we started dating and I was sort of thinking, oh, but we've only ever had sex with each other for the last nine and a half years. But when he got sick, we had to go protected sex. And then, um, yeah, it was really difficult. It became like less sexy it became mm. less sexy for me. Um, you, you get into a comfort pattern. Like it's not that I don't find my partner attractive. It's not that I, you know, if it was that, then we wouldn't probably be together. We're both pretty frank about our conversations. You know, my partner's significantly older. He's 16 years older than me. And so for me, I, th- I sort of feel like we're both in a place and we both know and have been through so much and we have very open discussions about what we want. And we've both said to one another that we would definitely want to be able to talk and say what we would want to want out of the relationship. Or if, heck, if he turned around and told me that he didn't love me tomorrow, then at least he told me that's where it was at. I'm not saying it wouldn't hurt. I'm not saying I would love it. But also we're too, like when you think about relationships, it's it's bizarre. You literally trying to connect with two people and hopefully it works out and it stays the same for you. Hopefully it works out and stays the same for you and it and it probably won't. And is that a bad thing though? So I think with with sex it's the same thing. You know at the beginning everyone calls it the honeymoon period. You get together, it's all very lush. You have loads of sex. It's all it's all happening, all the emotions and endorphins. And I feel like it's more sexy now when I have sex with him because I think, fuck, after nine and a half years, I still find you mm. enticing. Like, you're still exciting for me. I mean, me saying, me saying that I hope that 10 years from now we're still having, like, I know, like, because we're having less sex now than when we first got together and we've been together a couple of years now. But the desire, I'm, I think I'm talking more about the desire to have sex with my partner. Yeah. Whereas the people that I seem to make uncomfortable when I talk about the sex are people who are, hating on their husbands or you know they have they don't have sex very often and you know me saying you know because when I say we don't have sex as often I'm still like we still have sex probably a few times a week as opposed to a few times a day when we first got together and that kind of thing do but, you joke about it together about not having as much sex as you did at the beginning not really like it just it just because like 
for us, I think it's about like we we know it's logistics probably because you know he gets up and and goes swimming in the morning. I and often goes to work early. I get up and um, either go to the gym or go to work or do whatever it is. So sometimes it's logistics. Um, but isn't that funny? Because I think like that too, and I will go. Oh, I've got to get up and go to the gym. I've got to get up and do this. Sometimes I feel like, and it might not be sexy, but I think sometimes you actually have to schedule in sex. Well, I sometimes say to him, like, I, I say, are you going for a swim in the morning? And he's just like, oh, maybe not. And I go, okay, cool. I'm going to take your pants off then. And he goes, all right. So sometimes, like, I'll find out when he's, if I, if I fancy it, and I'll be like, what are you doing in the morning? Because this is what I want to happen. Or if he gets up and goes swimming, like, goes for an early swim on the weekend, I'm like, well, make sure you come home and get into bed without your pants on, which is what he kind of does. So I make it known and he very rarely, if ever, I don't think he ever has sort of said no or I don't fancy that or whatever. Um, but also, I mean, I've spent quite a lot of time working on myself and doing therapy and whatever and, and done some relationship work just in myself when I was in a not great relationship. And my therapist asked me at the time, he said, well, can I ask? He goes, without giving me the details, he goes, what's your sex life like? And I was like, mm, non-existent. And he goes, okay. Because he said, I, I'm like, why, why are you asking me that? And he said, well, your sex life is one of the, the best barometers of a of sort of a healthy relationship because it's, a, it's a, a type of connection that you have with your partner. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't, there's no rule in terms of, well, an appropriate or a good sex life after 10 years is once a week or um, you know, a good sex life after three years is once a week. It's just like you know in yourself with your relationship what's normal or what what feels good and connected with you. It might be once a week, it might be once a fortnight, it might be once a month or whatever, and that once a month is your good sex life. So it's not like he was saying, you know, how often are you having it? And, you know, he was basically saying, how's that connection? So it's always stuck with me from then that, you know, if people are hating on their husbands or their partners or whatever and they're talking about never having sex, I, there's a part of me that, thinks to myself is is there something in their connection that they're missing there that 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 needs to be rebuilt or something in order for them to find that again my gal esther perel who everyone knows i adore her and she's a wonderful relationship therapist um often says that relationships are a story and you need to make sure you both bought the same story Mm, that's interesting Mm. but on that note considering you're both obviously very happy wonderful uh when we hey, look at doesn't mean it doesn't mean it could it couldn't change and doesn't mean it's it's always going to be happening. No, I no. totally get that. But when we look at statistics, which say fifty seven percent of men are cheating and fifty four percent of women are cheating, my bigger question here is, and it's not promoting a um, open polyamorous relationship. That's not my point. But my question is, is the issue cheating or is it incorrect expectations on what relationships are meant to be? Potentially both. I think you've got to be upfront about what you want early on. Yeah. But, okay, you both obviously have wonderful girlfriends. Do they share their thoughts with you around their relationships and how it is versus how they dreamt it to be and all the rest of it? The close ones, like really close friendships do. And which which part of the scale do they um, sit on? In terms of uh, like, happiness, in terms of like this is what I thought it would look like, this isn't what I thought it would look like. Well, some of them, I mean, most of my close, close friends are around the same age as me. And I think when you get to the age of 37, you've been around the block. The, I was, was going to say the bush or the block or I don't know, one of those things um, a little bit. So, you know, that like relationships aren't all fucking fairy tales and glitter and, you know, sometimes it's a turd and you've got to roll it in glitter and, you know, 
do something with it, so to speak. Um, or you got to polish the turd and roll it in glitter was the <laughs> the sentence I was looking for there. Um, so, and that's the thing. It's like what you were saying, you know, like it, it's not happiness every day. It's, you know, some days relationships are really fucking hard work, but that's what you sign up for. And so some, some girlfriends, and I think it's in the early stages of dating, like the question that I got asked most recently because I met my partner through online dating um, was girlfriends that had come out of relationships and they're going back into the dating pool and they would ring me and go, how did you know with my man? Like how did you know that he was it? And I go, well, I just never asked myself a question. Like I didn't go, does he like me or does he not like me? I just knew I didn't have to ask and I didn't ask myself if I liked him. I just knew that I liked him. So I think when you get when you get a little bit older and if you've been in a few relationships, then you start to learn that like you can have certain values when you go into a relationship, but you've got to discuss expectations and you have to make it known. Um, like one of my, you know, like what we were t- talking about earlier about growing, I said to him, go, well, one of my expectations in a relationship is that I'm allowed to grow. And if you have a problem with that, then we're going to have a problem in our relationship at some point down the track because that's important to me. So that's a value driven thing. What happens? What happens if you change though? Like, you know, even as I was just saying, you got to be upfront early on. But then we just talk about changing and growing. So then you decide, or your partner decides, actually, I want to explore other people. I want to bring somebody else. How would you handle it? Yeah. Well, I suppose then it 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 comes well, the way I would approach it. Well, it comes down to communication. So if somebody mm. wants to go and explore with someone else, then you don't just fucking go and do that. You know have the discussion with your partner and say, look, this is what I'm thinking. Mm. Um, And out of respect for them, if you're in a respectful relationship, then they're allowed to have a voice and you have a discussion. And based on their feedback, you can go one of two ways. You can either, if they say, yes, that's fine, then you can discuss whatever parameters you want to put around that, if there are any or how that's going to work in your relationship. Or if they say no, then you have a choice to go, well, do I want to continue to be with this person knowing I have these feelings or do I want to you know, cut and run and go and experience this other thing. But I think the, the important thing is is communication and that's what relationships are what like you, can live and die on basically. What do you expect what do you expect would be your response? If somebody wanted like that's not how that's not my um that's that doesn't meet my values in a relationship. It's like if you want to go and be with other people then I'd want to know why. Like what is it that you're not getting in this relationship that right. you want so to go you and see explore? It as something that they're missing. Um well if they want to go and explore something outside of the relationship then then yeah, there's something they're not getting or if there's a level of curiosity that they have that's all of a sudden come out of nowhere that I didn't know about before then I'd my questions would be where did that come from and when did you start feeling that way and why is this important to you I'd have a whole bunch of questions um it's not necessarily that they're missing something if somebody just decides they have these feelings that they need to go and explore um then I'd I'd just have a whole bunch of questions as to where that came from why it is and um you know like because people say cheating's black and white but I've been Mm. cheated on and then went on to marry that person and I had no problems marrying that person. I didn't have any trust issues around marrying that person because I understood the motivation behind it and it wasn't about going off and finding someone else. It wasn't because he didn't love me. It wasn't because a whole bunch of things. Um, So I think sometimes it's understanding motivations behind things. So, Yeah, it's interesting uh, (laughs) because every time Lisa says, 
Uh, every time I tell Lisa I'm going to bring this up, she's like, you know, now I think people are going to think that we have this crazy open relationship. And I was like, no, I just have such a curiosity because it's now being spoken about in such a, a wider context. And there are so many studies that are also coming out. Um, and there's a woman called Wednesday Martin. Uh, she's, I think she's in the, she's in the USA and she actually talks about how it's women who actually need, uh, uh, more experience. They, they're the ones who actually desire more experience. You know how we're always sold the age old tale of men are the ones who actually need to go out and, you know, so have, they mm. yeah. Whereas actually it's women who, um, derive more enjoyment and necessity from a greater experiential pool. It's funny that you say that. Cause when I was 18, I was in a long-term relationship for about five years from when I was about 17 till I was about 22 and he was lovely. And, you know, he came from a family where his older brothers got married really young and that was the track that we were going down and the constant record playing in my head was I cannot marry this man if he's the only person I've ever had sex with. Mm. Cannot do it. I was just like, I can't. And I don't even know where that came from. It's not like, you know, my mum was a promiscuous person or I had promiscuous friends. Not that that's even promiscuity, wanting to experience different people sexually, but I'm just saying I had no mm. example that was making me go, I need to have – but. But in my brain, I was just like, I can't not know what it's like to have sex with more than one person. Mm. See, I, I was the complete opposite of that. I dreamt of having that one moment with that one person and it being my forever moment because I didn't have to think about what what would be over that fence should it, should it crumble. Yeah, right. You know, for me, mm. you know, that's, that's what it was as a, as a teenager. I just, I was so firmly planted on, on that. And now looking back on that, I'm grateful that I made the choice for myself to not, to not sort of abide by the no sex before marriage. I just think sex is such an important part of a relationship and getting to know somebody mm. and you don't know everyone or anyone until you've had that connection. But that's my opinion now, you know, I, but I just didn't think like that. And I think, oh, you know, 10, 12 years ago, you asked me that question. It's a very different answer. That's amazing. I love it. So timing expectations, creating a family together and expectations placed upon us by our parents, partners, society. Should we have a baby? Are we meant to have a baby? What does creating a family for us look like? As I know you both have two unique experiences in this. Hmm. Well, like I said earlier, I always thought by the time I was 37, I would have the the house and the kids and the whole shebang, so to speak. Um, But... I'm also of the opinion that, like, I don't think I would have been ready before now because I hadn't experienced enough of life to know myself well enough to then be able to – because my understanding, obviously not being a parent yet, is that when children come along, you have to make so much space in your world and in yourself for them that I just feel like if I didn't know myself as well as I know myself now, I don't even know how I would emotionally manage that. Um but do you have any expectations from your family or perhaps do you have just expectations of your partner when it comes to creating a family? Oh, yeah. Um, well, my, I suppose, experience is, is unique. My partner has a little boy um, from his previous marriage who doesn't live in our country because his ex is from overseas um, and his son lives elsewhere. So um, he is... Um, I would say terrified of going down that path again with me. 
but I was upfront when we got into the relationship by saying, you know, when I found out he had, um, you know, a child, I had no problem with that. Funnily enough, when I went, when I dated anybody before the age of, because I, I went back out on the dating scene when I was about 35. And before that, I was like, if somebody had kids previously, I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't want to sort of get into that. But when I came back out at 35, I'm like, I have to get my head around dating someone who has children because that's the age that I'm in. Um, but I was up front and said, I'm looking for someone to build a family with. So we've been doing a dance for the last little while about, you know, whether we are or aren't and that kind of thing. So I've, I had to go really deep and ask myself a whole bunch of really tough questions like, could I decide, you know, could I go without, could it, would it, would that be okay with me? And I don't know, I'm sort of of the opinion this is my opinion only, but I, I, I tend to think that people sit in one of two camps when it comes to having kids. The people who don't want kids, they know. Like they're just like, you know what, it's not for me. Um, I don't, you know, I don't want kids. And I'm not saying those people don't ever change their mind. Um, but You they, know, I said this to someone today when they, I, they were asking me if Lisa and I were going to have children and I said no and they said, oh, you might change your mind. And I said, no one ever says that to someone who says they want kids. Like could you imagine <laughs> if I started walking around when people said, I want a child and I say – you might change your mind. Don't worry about that. Yeah, friends I mean, who friends who have kids or have many kids who are having a tough time, they'll tell you you might change your mind. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, what I'm what I mean is is that people who know they don't want kids usually like you're just like, nah, it's not for me. I love kids; they're beautiful, but I just don't want that experience in my life. But for me, it's like it was always it was wasn't ever a question. It was always when I have kids, um, and so had- this. Sorry, guys. No, I was just going to say this is part of the discussion we've been having over the last little while is I'm like, well, how did you decide to have your first child? And he's like, well, didn't really think about it. It's just what we did. Like that's that was just the natural progression of what we did. And I'm like, so you sit in the yes camp. If you didn't ever ask yourself the question, do I or don't I want kids, and you would just knew that you were going to have them, then you sort of sit in that yes camp. Um, so I said to him, I go, you've got to understand, I'm asking myself a que- like a question like, 37 years in about giving something up that I've been thinking about for that long is that something that I'm actually is it possible to even do that so my question is like and I guess um no we don't need you anymore no um (laughs) I guess my question would be I'm hearing like one or two camps giving something up because my partner doesn't want the same things but you both love each other so I sort of think what happens if what happens if you don't give it up but you don't necessarily like he's he's not the sperm for this baby that you want to have and that it's a real discussion that you guys could possibly have because I'm of the mind like I've always been yeah by the time I'm 27 that was my age by the time I'm 27 I'm gonna have a baby like that's gonna be Mm. when I have kids it feels um that that feels you know I feel like at 27 I'm grown up enough to have a child. And, mm. and when that age rolled around, I was nowhere near grown when up. When I was young, I thought it was 25. <laughs> 20, Because I looked at my friends and their older sisters who were 27, 28, and I thought, gosh, they're so much older and they're probably going to have kids soon. And this is, this is wild. And then at that moment, I went, I'm 27. Oh, I'm 28. I'm 29. And I went, oh, I'm 30. And it was funny because... A lot of people at 30 who don't even have an opinion on sort of my life, generally speaking, were kind of like, oh, so you're probably going to have kids soon, right? And yeah, I'm, I consider myself a maternal person. I definitely would love to have a child, but I'm also, I don't, I don't look at relationships and having a kid as a synonymous 
thing or doesn't have to be synonymous for me. Like I, I, I think it's great. I think, you know, having a, a partner and having a child and if, that's, if that works for you, great. But also I know if I wanted to have a child and the person that I was with, and this is my opinion obviously, I, I just feel like I would just go out and, and have the child. It's my body. I'm carrying it. I'm making the choice, mm. you know, and I'm not saying that's what you should go and do tomorrow, no. but in my head for, for a long time, I thought, oh, marriage is synonymous with kids and kids with like a loving relationship. But all I, I think the biggest takeaway that I've learned about myself over the last few years is just how much things can change and how uncertain things can be in life mm. that for me, I... I feel like if I felt so strongly right now at the age of 31 that I wanted to have a baby right now and my partner and I couldn't do it, you know, through the frozen sperm that he has, that is probably unviable, but you know what? That's what it is. You give it a red hot crack anyway. Mm. Then I would look at other other ways. And it's it's a conversation that I've had with my partner as well because – it's not an easy route and I think having kids sometimes like sex is, isn't a sexy conversation for people to have, you know, but I just think if you feel so strongly about something, why are we so reliant on having this like ideal, that, this perfect relationship or this marriage? Like why does it have to, why does it have to be one and the same is kind of my, my sometimes I struggle because I have a lot of friends who are older as well and, you know, and, I, and like in their 40s and a lot of them will say to me, oh, have your kids now, have them now. If I could just tell myself what I, you know, at 30, have, 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 you, have your kid now, don't worry about your career. Mm. And then I get a little bit like disheartened because I still want the career. I've almost done like a 180. Like I just, what I thought I wanted, I kind of don't necessarily want right now and that's okay. And if I decide to adopt or foster or do something else, do something different, then that's okay too. Mm. Like so far, like, you know, nothing in my life has necessarily gone to plan and it's been pretty great, ups and downs, but it's been great and I can sit here and feel, I guess, to some degree in control. Yeah, look, I mean, I completely appreciate all of that and I have full respect for anybody that does want to go, like they feel so strongly that they want to have a child that they'll go and do it on their own. And, and I've been asked that a number of times when I was single before I met my current partner. And the answer to me is always no, because I don't want to choose that life for myself. I don't want to be a mum so badly that I want to go and do it alone. Um, and, and I've always known that that was, that was my choice. And me wanting to have a child is because I want to create a family. I want to experience parenting a child with another human being. And I want to um, and for me, parenting is a team sport, like, you know, unless, I mean, I'm not saying that, it, you know, relationships don't break down and stuff, but even then you would like to think, and I know that relationships go badly and, you know, that kind of thing. I'm a very idealistic person. I appreciate that. Um, but I like to think that, you know, par- parenting is a team sport and there are two parents in that child's life, God willing. Um, and you somehow work through that dance together if you're not together anymore. Um, and I've had to, I've had to, like, I did a lot of work on it. I stayed in a really nasty relationship for a couple of years and I met him when I was 33, I think it was. So when I came out of that relationship at 35, I walked straight into my therapist's office and went, right, we knew I shouldn't have fucking stayed there. The question is, why did I stay so long? And we worked through it. And the reason I'd stayed so long was because I wanted a family and I wanted, and I'm like, 
thank, you know, whatever that I didn't end up creating a human with this, that person because that would have effectively ruined my life and the child probably wouldn't have had a great life either. So he asked me two, he asked me two questions and he said one. He goes, I've got a couple of questions for you. And I'm like, okay. And he said one, do you, would you prefer to be in a relationship that where you'll have kids but effectively the relationship may fail somewhere down the road. I mean, all relationships may fail, I may say that, but he's like the likelihood of that relationship failing down the road um, is more likely, in which case then I'll end up a single parent and broken family and whatever. He said, or would you rather find someone and build a deep connection out of which children may or may not fall? And I always chose the latter because the relationship Mm. always comes first to me. Um, it just, it's just that I have found this person that I want to create this family with and I'm met with a roadblock that I didn't foresee, I suppose, when I met him. So for me, and everybody, and I've, and I've, people have told me over the last, that it's like, but if this is so important to you, why don't you leave? And I'm like, because I know what it's like out on the street, you know, online dating and the whole bit. And I said, and you don't come across men like this very often. Like he's a beautiful man and you don't walk away from someone like that easily like it's just not Mm. it's just not what you do and I couldn't do it so I am willing to nurture him you know through whatever is going on and whatever because I I believe that we will eventually um but it's just and I'm not saying it's not been really fucking hard like I've had some like fist clenching wall kicking moments but I believe he's worth it and I believe that you know, the life that we can create together and the family that we can create together is worth it. And I could be really idealistic and really fucking wrong. Um, But it's like, you know, when I married my husband in my 20s and everybody was like, because I got on a plane and flew to England after he cheated on me to go and be with him and then ended up married. And everybody's like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, you know what? I'm glad I can sit here at the age of 37 and talk about my ex-husband and not, and know how that ended rather than sitting here and going, you know what, I really wonder what would have happened if I got on that plane and followed him because I loved him so deeply. Um, I'm the kind of person I don't like what ifs. I like to just know that – and I know when I've got nothing left in the tank. Like I know when to leave a situation when I've got nothing left. It's happened a few times in my life and I've always eventually left. I'm not saying it's – you know, I haven't gone through a whole bunch of heartache, you know, when I got to that point. But I I know when I I have capacity and when I don't – um, I think you know. Of course, you know. You know. You, you um. There's this. There's this pain that sort of happens when you think of a single parent raising a child. It's 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 really difficult. And you know, my father had passed away when I was really young, and and my mum raised two kids on her own, and she she didn't even have a driver's license. She didn't even have access to the bank accounts when he passed away. Wow. You know. For, and I look at that scenario and when my dad passed away, I, I really changed as a person because I ended up basically looking after my mom and raising my younger brother. And I just said to myself, I never want to be in a situation where I don't feel like if whatever happens tomorrow that I feel helpless, you know. And she she came out of it because she's a fucking strong woman, that's for sure, and she's taught me so much. But I also remember – because she we, she never dated anyone when we were growing up. She never had any guys over. She never entertained anything like that, that thought. Well, at least she never shared that with us growing up. And I remember asking her probably about, mm, about a year ago, 
why didn't you find someone? Why didn't you, you know, you were by yourself raising two kids. She said, you guys were my priority and sometimes I just didn't want to have to focus on a relationship and getting myself out of what I'd just been through and raising two kids. And when I heard that, it all just kind of made sense to me because I said, if sometimes you've just, you've got to do it yourself and it doesn't mean it's great and you shouldn't necessarily have to choose that route if it's not for you or if you really want to have that partner, then you have that partner. But I look at that and I think, if I really want something, I just don't want to ever wait for anybody else, you mm. know? Like they might be the most incredible person. They might give everything. But I just hope that they can understand that, that, that I need something this much that I'm willing to potentially walk away from it. Uh, and, you know, people change their minds and evolve, which is really exciting in relationships. But also it's okay to sometimes have an opinion and stay the same and that's where you are and, you know, mm. you draw a line in the sand and I think what you do after that is probably the most difficult because you don't want to have to make a choice. Mm. I can hear it in your voice. You don't, you, you know, deep down there's this element of you that's saying, I really, like we're going to get to this point that I have in my head, you know. And, and everyone's been there in that relationship. You go, oh, I'm, I'm going to be that person for them that changes it or that fixes it or that crosses them over the line. And I... I think, yeah, I've been in so many scenarios and I've been cheated on because of that exact scenario because you just think you're the different one, you're the other one. And I just am in a place now where I just and have been through a lot with my current relationship that I just go like, fuck it. Mm. <laughs> like it sounds so, you know, not sexy or not fun or not like dream fairy tale-y, but I just, I don't know, life is just so short and the person that you love are you – can just literally not be here tomorrow because mm. of it. And I just – and you could not be here tomorrow. And not that you'll actually remember it because you'll be dead, but, you know, there'll be people around you that are left behind going, that person really wanted this and didn't have it, you know. And mm. I just – I think about that with people that I've lost. I'm like, they really wanted to pursue this and it didn't happen, you know. Yeah. There's, there's, there's definitely no right or wrong in no. how you want to approach children. I don't think anyone's ever ready – doesn't matter how many books you read. Doesn't matter how many people you talk to. I think when it happens, you just got to go into the mode that suits you. That's yeah. my opinion, you know. But yeah, it's 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 yeah. you know. I feel like it's it's heartbreaking to feel like you can only have a child if you're in a unit all the time. No, it's not. I can only have. It's what I want. I'm not saying yeah. that you you necessarily think like that. I'm saying like you in the greater word being like. Some people out there think I can only have a child. If it if... fits the other expectations I had around having my child. Exactly. Uh, so moving to more to our, the, the next wonderful relationship in our life being our friendships. Often we find that friendships may fail, crack, have some tension, bit of issues if there's a misalignment of expectations um, in the sense of like I expect you to treat me how I treat you yet actually how we think is entirely different. Um, I know some friends who are really generous. I have other friends who are remarkably selfish. Um, so have either of you ever cross, come across this difficulty and how did you navigate that? <laughs> You're laughing, so shall you I begin? Am. Um, I'm laughing because I'm notorious for having high expectations, not only of myself, but also those close to me. Um, I come from a small family. I have, um, a sister who I'm not particularly close to and there's my mum. my dad's not in the picture and, um, 
I have a lot of cousins of which we don't speak to. So therefore it's just me, my mum and my sister that I don't connect with a lot, I suppose. So I treat my very close friends like family um, and I think my expectation is to feel the same from them um, and that's let me down a number of times. But I've all, I'm also a very I, – I would like to think that I would classify myself, as you just said, there's some very generous people in your life, there's some very selfish people in your life. I tend to think that I'm a – very generous person to the point where quite sometimes especially in friendships my kindness has been mistaken for weakness um one relationship in particular um and like we were the closest to friends we lived together the whole bit but there was like this level of ownership over me that I think she felt she had and it was only when I sort of explicitly like when she started behaving in a way where I was just like this is not okay and this is why Um, and she actually said, oh, like to the point where she was, she'd be very passive aggressive and she'd make up this story in her head about who I was, like when I wasn't with her. And then when we'd catch up, she'd be like, I remember one time specifically, she actually said to me, she goes, oh, look at you. You're so lovely. And I'm like, okay. And I go, why'd you say that? She goes, well, you know, because I've, you know, you're doing this and, you know, in my head, I've got this whole story about you, you know, you being a certain way. And I'm like, "Mm, I'm just me. And she's like, yeah, but like it was almost like I'd moved the goalposts. She felt like I'd moved the goalposts of our friendship because I'd grown in a particular way and she wasn't enjoying it. She wanted me to stay exactly where I was because that's what suited her. Um, and our friendship eventually imploded because I got to the point where I said, I don't understand why if you're my friend and you love me and I'm doing something that makes me happy, why you can't just be happy for me. The reason she didn't, she wasn't happy for me was because the thing that I was doing to grow was taking up more of my time and I was less available to her um, and in her mind that wasn't acceptable instead of other friends that I had in my life who were just so overjoyed for me being as happy as I was and growing and being positive and whatever um, but she also when when the friendship sort of went down in you know a pile of flames she just annihilated my personal character and I'm just like this is so unnecessary um, but the fact that she actually said to me once, she said, I feel like I have this some type of ownership over you, like quote unquote, that's what she said. And I just said, I don't understand how you think you can do that to another person, like whether it's a friendship or a partnership or your husband or wife or whatever it is, I don't understand how you can feel like you can own someone. Like at what point in our friendship did you start thinking that? Because I can't tell you how fucking incorrect you are. Um, but that friendship eventually imploded because like simple, a simple example was it was a Saturday morning. I was, um, having a little bit of a sleep in before I had to go up the road to the hairdresser and she had a scooter and it had broken down in Leichhardt and she wanted to borrow my car to go and pick up her scooter. I said, sure, no problem. If you just come to my house, just drop me up at the hairdresser and I will, um, and then I'll just walk home later and you can drop the car home later. And she didn't want to come to keeping in mind I'm doing the favor by giving her the car. She, and we only lived, um, you know, probably 500 meters from each other, but there was a hill involved. And for me to drive down there, like it would take an extra 10, 15 minutes. So I'd have to get up early, drive down the whole bit anyway. And she's like, Oh, can't you just come pick me up? And I said, look, I really would just like to sleep in a little bit longer because I've had, I worked full time. She did not. Um, Anyway, and it was just this whole – and then she was just like, okay, fine, don't worry about it. And I'm like, I just went, all right, 
like just got shitty with me because I wouldn't her expectation was that not only would she borrow my car but I would also go and pick her up to make her life easier valet service I know so I was just a bit like no have you ever had any nasty friendships like that or just expectations when you've expected something of a friend and all of a sudden you're like oh hold on maybe I expected a bit too much um I nah you already know this but I like adore my friends like I love my friends my friends are my people do you think your friends sometimes take advantage of you? Do you think my friends sometimes take advantage of me? I think you are a very yes person. and I was just going to say I'm, I'm such a people pleaser. Yeah, that's, I am. that's my opinion. Like you're, yeah. I absolutely adore you, but you are a people pleaser. So yeah, I guess I is the expectation I that... I love it though because I care. Like I see the good in people and I know sometimes they don't deserve it. So when people have high expectations of you and expect something extra, it doesn't ever annoy you or piss you off? Mm, the only time it's ever really been voiced to me as being extra is probably from my mother and that just inherently annoys me because it's from my mother. So I'm not counting her in this scenario when she expects things from me. Um, yeah, look, I, I'm a people pleaser and I, I am an overachiever by heart. Like I want to always go above and beyond. And I don't necessarily expect the same in return, but I really expect honesty and respect probably honesty the most I think people can have lashing out moments and can lose their bearings I think it's human but honesty is probably the biggest thing for me out of any relationship especially my friendships you know I've I've been really fortunate I've got incredible people in my life um, incredible friends in my life my partner's friends and my friends are super intertwined I don't even know what the separation is anymore which is kind of great I never thought I'd have that um, I also love love that I'm in a place where when I think about potentially having a child or having children I go gosh we have such great people around us we'd be really fortunate to have someone there so but in, in terms of my like I guess my friendships I've got a really good group of friends that I can lean on and I know have got my back 100%, you know. And, but in saying that, I have had tumultuous friendships in my past, probably when I was younger. Um, I did have a bit of a scenario, not sort of mm, – I, I obviously don't know your full experience with your current friend or your ex-friend, should I say. Hmm. But, um, but um, yeah, it was a lot of – taking and a lot of manipulation that followed and it wasn't so much that she needed a lot of me that wasn't the issue it was that it became manipulative and that lying happened and then that's that's kind of a deal breaker for me I can pretty much forgive people for most things but I cannot forgive blatant dishonesty or repeated dishonesty like that for me is it's just, it's just too hard. If I can't trust you, mm. I can't, I can't give my entire self to you, and I don't think it's worth, worth, worth it. Like I don't think a fifty percent friendship is worth it. No. Like we could have a great hundred percent relationship. You know, you don't have to like me all the time. You don't have to agree with me all the time. In fact, some of my closest friends, like we challenge each other all the time. It's not about agreeing and being happy all the time. It's just about being honest about things and about who you are and it doesn't mean that you don't change like if you decide to change something or change an opinion that's fine it's it's actually just about 
the respect that you're giving to that relationship, the honesty you're giving into that relationship, into that friendship. I think they're synonymous for me. I think it's great that you can have a relationship that's a friendship and a friendship that's a relationship. You know, I all see them of, as one and the one and the same. Yeah, for me, for me, all of my relationships have stemmed from years of of friendship with the other person. You know, and I like I think that's great. I um, recently a friend of mine said something to me. She said. She said, so many things are so fleeting, but at the end of the day, it's that friendship you have with that partner that you can, you can lean on. It's that person that you want to call and tell them your great news. You want to tell them that you've had a shit-ass day. You tell them that that person annoyed you on your way home in the Uber. They're the people. Mm. Like, they're your friends. They're your relationships. They're your people. It's yeah. the small things. It's not the glorified dinners and the lunches and all the really fun events that you might go to. It's those little moments that you don't always get to see of the other person. So the people who have your back, mm. like my one of my closest girlfriends, I know that. And when I was going through a tough time, the breakup with the bad, bad relationship I was in, like I rang her at three in the morning just because I was having a meltdown, and she answered her phone and just talked me through it. And would you? Sorry, would you expect like if it was her the other way around and she called you at three a.m. Would you have her back as well? Absolutely. See, I think that's it. I think, but you expect that, right? Well, I just, it's, I don't even expect it. I just know that it is. Yeah. Like I don't even need to expect yeah. it. It just is. I see sort of all, I see all, all my close friendships. I see, I see everything in my life as a relationship. I have a relationship with my chemist up the road. I have a relationship with people at work. It's just the differences and the nuances in those relationships. And I classify my really close friends as intimate relationships. They know the most intimate things that go on in my life some of the things that I don't even tell my partner you don't tell your barista about your sex life come on (laughs) no no I'm talking about like the intimate like your most intimate fears and things like that you know some things because I'm also when I have a a relationship with a a partner you know say you know my um live-in partner my intimate relationship um I don't expect to get everything in my life that I need from him either I know where I need to go from the people in my life to get what it is that I need and yes he's a very very big part of of um that kind of thing but I was sort of taught probably through therapy and the work that I've done on myself is that you need to meet your own needs and then you meet the needs of a relationship but you don't expect your partner to meet your needs Mm. if that makes sense well they're all trying to I think the the thing that we sometimes get confused when we have our partners, when we're going through a meltdown, you hope that they have all the answers, but they may be having their own meltdown. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like everyone is always trying to figure out their own life to a certain point. And Absolutely. so it's kind of like you're looking for them to be security, but at the same time they may be having all of their own expectations and worries and fears that you just have to take a step back and think, hold on a second, where's the exchange here? It's funny you say that because when um – it feels so weird say just saying my partner, my partner, but my partner, when we have like an argument or I'm upset about something, I'd always say, I could just hug me. That's all you need to do is just hug me. And we actually talked it through because he said, the only time I can't hug you is when my emotions are involved. Like when it's something between you and me, I can't hug you because I can't go there because I'm dealing with my shit over here. And I'm like, fair cool. Mm. So now I understand that when we're you know, yeah. I can't just expect him to do what I need. Well, that's the other thing I think is interesting about relationships and expectations. I've learned how Lisa and I fight in mm. terms of you have to learn how the other person is thinking, responding inherently for you to also understand how to navigate through to that next uh, resolution, I guess is a simple way to say that. And that takes time. Like we've, yeah. been, we've been together two years and we are still learning so much about each other, the way we argue, 
the way we communicate, um, the way he is after a bad day at work versus the way I am after a bad day at work and what each other needs Mm. and all of that sort of stuff. Um, And I still enjoy that. Like, and I know that, you know, with the growing with each other and the growing as humans, like I'm still going to be learning things about him five years from now, 10 years from now, because that's what happens with humans. We're not um, static beings. Some people are. Uh, So I want to finish on a wonderful thing. Uh, Do you ever feel pressured from the bombardment placed upon you as a woman in society by media, Hollywood, politicians, co-workers, family, um, from perhaps what you have to wear, makeup, um, not looking tired, and just those subtle to obvious expectations that as women I think we get a lot more than, uh, well, not even just men, but just let's just focus on women here. Have we have we got an entire hour left to go on this? This is like a whole whole uh, episode on itself. I really. think it's something that's important to touch mm. on because I think most women listening to this will be like, "Yeah, fuck me." That's I've heard I've heard that comment before. Or Lisa often says she hates when people say to her, um, "You look tired," and she says, "No, this is just my face. This is just a woman's face without makeup." Because think, she yeah. she's mm-hmm. adamant about not wearing makeup to work because she's like, "Well, why should I? Why is it expected and placed upon me to make sure I look pretty for what?" She's like, "That's not my value, and that's not why I'm there." Yeah, I think I, I'm exactly the same. Um, one of the, you know, I don't wear makeup to work. Anyone that knows me, I'm a moisturizer, concealer, out the door. And by concealer, I mean like very vague concealer. You can't even tell I'm wearing it. And um, uh, So why do you wear it? Because uh, I actually have dark um, bags underneath my eyes. And it's mostly because I'm iron deficient, but they really come out. And I've had so many comments about it. People go, oh, are you sick? Are you tired? And I go, okay, I'm not going to wear makeup, but I'm going to put on concealer so I get less commentary. But when I end up wearing, say, lipstick, if I put on lipstick at the end of work and I'm going out to a dinner function and I want to, and someone sees me and they'll go, oh, you look really nice or you look really different. And I just, it just inherently just throws me back to teenage, teenage me and, you know, people noticing only when you look pretty as a way to, approach how you are and Mm. yeah I think it's inherent it's it happens all the time you want to look a certain way like I want to I want to wear I want to wear a um a hoodie and my Ugg boots and just walk down the street and go to the cafe and just with may or may not run a comb through my hair like and I don't want an opinion I don't want someone to go oh you're a bit tired or are you are you a bit rushed this morning no no you don't have to make an opinion i I got up, I chose to to leave the house like this. This is who I am at the end of the day. Like, you know, that's what, at the end of the day, you know, it's my choice. What you think I got up and then I didn't, didn't look into a mirror, didn't realize where I was at and left the house. Like, Mm. I know sometimes people don't think about it. They don't think. I gave myself this standard when I walked out the door. Isn't it, isn't it enough that I've opened my eyes for you today? (laughs) I'm, I suppose I might be a, more more unique in this sense. Well, not, did that sound horrible? More unique. Not, I was like, you basically in- said I'm not very unique. It's fine. We've just been. <laughs> well, no, it's I don't fine. Mean, don't get it. I mean, I, story of my life. Sense- Let's go back to the earlier recording. <laughs> no, no, I mean like unique in a sense that a lot of women do feel that that pressure to go and look good or look a certain way for other people. Um, I do wear makeup almost every day, not foundation, but I will. I wear. I curl my eyelashes. I wear mascara. I wear a blush. And I wear a little bit of highlighter and sometimes do or don't do my eyebrows. Um, I used to be a makeup artist, so I've always enjoyed and loved product. Um, I'm like the ultimate consumer, but I've always enjoyed skincare, beauty products, 
makeup and that sort of thing. So for me, it's an enjoyment thing for myself. Um, if I don't feel like doing it, I don't do it. It's not a, I can't leave the house unless I do this sort of thing. But I genuinely like the way it makes me feel. I like the ritual of it. Um, and that's just, and I like, you know, I, I currently work in a role where like, I mean, you saw me when I walked in here, I've got like dirt all over my shoes because I work in a place that's quite dirty and grubby, which is different to any other place I've ever worked in. So this kind of, you know, look of being polished and whatever is not the norm in the office that I currently work in. But that hasn't stopped me from going, well, this is who I am and this is how I operate. So even though I look different to all the other women in my office, I'm going to keep doing that because that's just what makes me feel good. But I now, I really, because I did used to work in other jobs where I would dress up a little bit more, I now relish when I go on dates on the weekend or I go out, I really relish doing a face of makeup and enjoying that feeling in that process because it's about me. I don't think, what kind of eye makeup am I going to do that's going to impress these people that I'm going out with? It's just like, what do I fancy? What mood am I in? It's like, you know, hear people talk about fashion and they the clothes that they wear are expressions. you know expressions of their mood or whatever i feel that way that way a bit with makeup but i also go up the street and do whatever with like jeans and thongs and a ratty t-shirt and no makeup and not doing my like it's like it's not about what other people think of me it's about how i feel within myself so my question very much um also revolves around i guess about the uh tangibility of social media and the pressures that we see with the perfect filter and all the rest of it I'm starting to think um when it comes to Botox and plastic surgery and all the rest of it I wonder to myself is it because I never grew grew up with a mother who had Botox that I don't understand why 20 year old friends of mine are getting it done um I'd just like to think or I'm curious to know what you guys feel about that and the pressure to go and get cosmetic surgery Oh, the irony of this question on this day. Um, So I'm 37 and I got Botox for the first time today. And I, again, didn't do it because I see people on social media or whatever. I did it for myself, A, because I'm partly curious and B, because I do have one frown line that I know is developing and it's not just in my head. I've, you know, had skin scans and whatever and that is a you know a wrinkle that's forming or whatever so they did they say if you get botox it will actually stop it no they didn't say that no okay. they didn't say it would i just know the mechanics of botox and the function that it provides and whatever but also i i did it because um it's it's just a maintenance thing the same way that i get laser hair removal and i get my hair colored and i use the you know shampoo that takes care of my hair i'm sort of maintaining my the sort of the elasticity in my skin the same way that i spend you know, I use a serum and then a moisturizer and then a sunscreen in the morning. And it's just, it's just something that I thought I wanted to try. I'm not saying I'm going to do it forever. And I'm 37. It's not like I'm doing it in my early Mm. twenties because I feel like that's what everyone's doing and I should Mm. do it. And it's just like, cool, I'll have a go. Yeah. I guess my curiosity comes from the fact that as we grow older, we know we're going to get wrinkles and things like that. But now there is an expectation like that isn't meant to be a part of Aging. Yeah, like, and I'm just curious about it because I know I I realized when I'd look at, um, obviously when I've done, obviously, when I've done a bit of acting, um, I've always been like, oh, I'm just such an ugly, I'm such an ugly crier. And then I also reflected on most actresses for those who've had Botox. Of course, that's why they have the beautiful gentle tear rolling down their face 
and theirs isn't so far it doesn't move exactly whereas <laughs> when I cry it's an ugly cry it is not a pretty thing and so then I started to realize and Lisa will always tell me how naive I am because I'll be like that person hasn't had any surgery she's like are you joking have you seen their lips yeah. and I don't know perhaps I just can't see it unless it's really preposterous but I just started to wonder had it always been happening in such a large scale that it was just such a common thing around the corner or has it started to um occur more recently due to higher expectations of how women are meant to present themselves. It's also not as cost prohibitive as it used to be. Like laser hair removal when it first came out, if you'd remember it, it cost you like so much money just to do like your nani region or whatever. Whereas these By days... By nani, do you mean vagina? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Good. Vag- I was like, oh, nani region. Yeah. You're like, like I don't have well, one nani. of those regions. No, like, Where's that but, region? <laughs> but that's, yeah, by like to get your vagina... Um, lasered like laser hair removal was super expensive whereas now like because of technology advancements and you know the way the world works in in that sort of sense um so developments think- there it's it's less expensive so it's probably more available to more people it's probably the same with botox i don't know how expensive botox used to be because i never researched it but i'm guessing that like any of those treatments or things that um have progressed and become more widely available it's probably less like it costs less than what it once did. But So do you feel, do you perhaps both feel that it is simply because it is cheaper that more people are doing it? That's or not do the you... only reason. Yeah, like Surely. I just no. think we must agree that there is a raised expectation. I definitely think it's a raised expectation and I definitely think it's, you look at a, you know, filtered or a perfect photo of someone and you think that couldn't be natural. So how did they attain that? Probably by going and doing X, Y and Z okay, that's probably what I'm going to do too. Whether or not that's something that you want. I have friends who've had plastic surgery who told me many years later after having plastic surgery that they got it done. Mm. And I was was actually shocked because it was done so well that I couldn't even pick it up. Um, I think it's not for me right now. I I can't imagine it. I didn't grow up with it, you know. Um, And so – you know, that that might change. I might, you know, wake up in five years and go, these are terrible lines and that's what I'm doing. If I choose to do that, then so be it. I don't think there should be judgment placed if you choose to do it. I think there is a lot of scrutiny and women sort of hide it because... There's a stigma. Yeah, there's a stigma. And I think it's refreshing to sort of hear a little bit that it's like, oh, it's just part of my daily routine for some for some people. Or to, mm. It's just, in, you know, accumulative of I go out and get my laser hair removal. I go out and colour my hair. So why can't I go and mm. fix fix my yeah, life? I have a friend and she tells me that it gives her way more confidence in who she is. And so, again, it's that layered questioning. Do you feel more confident because you get the compliments or do you feel more confident because someone has made, made a comment around it? So it's really just a curiosity around or do it. You, or do you look like what you think you should look like? Yeah. And great, does that make you happy? Is it you know is that where you want to be? Because maybe that's worth doing it all if you get to that point. I've... Uh, my friend's sister, she um, she has quite a bit of work done and it's extremely obvious, but she loves, and she says, I love this kind of yeah. plastic, almost fake look. I love that it's all so accentuated. It mm-hmm. makes me feel great. Well, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, and it's also that thing of like the people who who are driven by the way people look on social media, like I tend to think that, Look, the world we live in is completely fucked up in a lot of ways, I think. And if you're not somebody that's in tune with yourself and how you are affected by the fucked up world that we sometimes live in, um, 
And I think, to be honest, the world is probably walking around with more people that are unaware than there are aware in terms of how they are personally affected by things. So, and I think that they are, it depends on how impressionable you are through things like social media and the media and stuff like that. Because like, I look at things and I'm like, well, it's filtered, you know, whatever. I wouldn't want to look like that anyway. But there are other people that maybe they're unhappy in themselves for whatever reason, and they're not addressing the reason why they're unhappy with themselves, but they just believe that by looking like, Kylie Jenner or Kendall Jenner or Kim Kardashian or whoever it is that they're following, that that will make them happy. And then chances are, if they do that, they'll still not be satisfied because they haven't addressed the real reason they're potentially unhappy. So it's, it's everywhere, but I think it's, you know, in terms of like Botox and, and all the different things that are available to, to augment the way that we look. Um, and it's everywhere. And if you're somebody that is impressionable to the point where they believe that they will be more whole or be happier if they do what someone else is doing, then that's that's one way to react to it. But it's not how everyone does. But I think it's it's you, like you've got to learn how aware you are to how things affect you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel like it's really different now though. Like, you know, for me, skinny was this like pinnacle. To be skinny was like, that was the it factor for me. Whereas now it's like being fit and lean and toned and I like muscle definition, which is so weird because I always equated muscle with being bulky and fat and chunky. They're the words that I always associated growing up. Whereas now, you know, I, I like, I follow and I... <laughs> I'm like notorious on social media following like, you know, um, triathletes and like women power lifters because I'm just so, I'm in awe of their strength and their, you know, um, and they have bodies that aren't what I would typically have looked at to be, you know, feminine and sexy skinny bodies when I was a teenager. But now I look at them and I think that is, that is an incredible body. You know what is a wonderful tip I got told about social media? Um, it's by Chloe Brinklow who does Tomboy Beauty. She goes, I only follow people um, or brands that I would allow into my home. Hmm. Yeah. So goes, goes back home, erases many accounts. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually just thought what a wonderful yeah. rule to have to your social media. Like if you would never invite that person or you would never want that brand of clothing within your wardrobe or whatever it is that you are following, mm. then why are we following them on social media and letting them inundate our minds um, with whatever it is they're spouting across yeah. it? I just thought such a, a rule of thumb that's, I think, quite good and unique. Yeah, I think I need to maybe adhere to that rule a little bit more. Definitely. Thank you both so much for joining me today. I do have one final question. You're standing in front of a room of 10,000 women you can offer one piece of advice, what would you say? Keep learning and don't be afraid to change. You know, uh, definitely um, you can change your mind and that's absolutely fine. Just, um, just be honest with the people around you. Trust and respect your intuition because it knows what's up. Like, you know, and especially as women, I think we're really connected to that part of ourselves and you know when something doesn't quite feel right right um so yeah just tune into that thank you both so much thank you thank you hey everybody thank you so much for listening to this episode of the modern women if this content is delivering value to you 
It would be so helpful and appreciated if you head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher and rate and review us as that helps us build this incredible community. And ultimately, that is what this is all about, building this community as big as we can to help as many women as possible. And all of your ratings and reviews truly help with that. And before I go, a shout out to Chunky Love for the original music and to Mr. Darren Lake over at Podpace for helping me produce this show for all of you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 